Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Continuing our series, Our Town. Several months ago, I was on an airplane uh, coming back from Orlando to Birmingham. And how many have ever flown Southwest? Yeah, you know how funny they are. I don't know if you know, I don't know what, how they got together on this, but every Southwest plane I've been on recently is, you know, they're, they're always, you know, it's all laid back and informal and funny, and, and it's, it's a lot more fun to fly there than, especially when you're in a little metal tube about 30,000 feet in the sky. It's good to have a sense of humor. I was on the plane, and I was walking on with my suitcase trying to find a seat. And over the over the uh, loudspeaker, the pilot, or, or the male voice, said, um, "Hey, welcome to Southwest Airlines. You don't have to have any assigned seat or ticket number. Just find a seat and sit, squish in there by somebody with an open seat. Who knows? You may make a love connection." Uh, the only open seat was by this guy. Up front, and I wasn't going to sit 12 rows back or by. So I said, Hey, is this open? And he said, You're not sitting here because of what he just said, are you? <laughs> and I said, No, 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 that's not my deal. Just want to get home, that's all. So we sat down and it opened the door and we began to talk. And I found out his name was Scott. He was about 30 years old. He was from. Um, Orlando and had grown up in Fort Lauderdale and and as we continued to talk I just found out more about his life he had a, a long long story had a, a fascinating life but uh, I asked him um, just as, as the conversation continued on uh, I didn't know where it was going to go so he asked me what I did he said what do you do I think he was a pharmacy rep or something he was flying to girl, uh, to Birmingham to see his girlfriend to stay the weekend with his girlfriend and so I I assumed that he wasn't a believer, and and um, as we talked for a little while, he said, "What do you do?" And I, I always try to go undercover because there there was a time when you told people you were a pastor at open doors. Uh, half the time now it closes them. So I said, um, I, I didn't even see it coming. I thought, well, I work with leaders. He said, "Oh, you do? Okay, that's interesting." We went on for a while, and he said. Hey, what is it exactly you do? I said, I, I, I work with leaders in, in church. He looked, okay. Oh, that's great. Okay. And as we talked on, I said, you know, I've got a question for you. Uh, a lot of times when you, when you talk to leaders in, in, in churches, they wonder what people who don't go to church think about them. And I was just curious, what do, you, what do you think about church? And he said, wow. He said, I don't know. He said, I hadn't really thought about it. I said, well, what do you, what do you think? He said, you know, uh, he said, I, I, it's good. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I, I, think, it's, I think it's good. I said, well, do you go to church? No. I said, when's the last time? Have you ever gone? Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, my grandmother went to church, and I went to church with her. And, and I said, did you, was it, was it good? Did you, did you enjoy that? Was it a, a, a meaningful part of your life? Yeah, it was, yeah it, was, it was good. I said, 
But when, when you move from Fort Lauderdale to Orlando, it wasn't good enough that it made you think about finding a different church for you there in Orlando. He said, no. No, I never thought about it like that. I, 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 you know, it wasn't. And I said, well, why do you think, why, you think church is good? Why is it good? He said, well, I mean, I, I think it teaches good things. He said, now, I, I don't know about those people that claim to speak in another language. I'm not sure about that. He said, it's like, are they channeling something? Or how does that? I just decided to let it go. <laughs> and he said, I said, well, why? He said, you know, now that I think about it, when I was a kid, there were a bunch of kids in my neighborhood that got in trouble. But... Something inside me when I was with them told me not to, not to do what they were doing. And he said, I, I think, I think that's, I think that's what, how church helped me. I said, so you, you think it taught you morals? He said, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's what it is. I, I think it taught me morals. And as this door continues to open, I'm just praying inside my heart. And I'm saying, all right, Lord, help me know what to do. The door is cracked and it's opening. But what do I do? And and here's what I heard the Holy Spirit say to me. Help him find that I have, that I was, that I'm already at work in his life and he doesn't know it. I said, okay, I'm working on it. (laughs) So as, as we kept talking through, I think he's at work in the room. As we kept talking through what what God does and how He wants to talk to them, as we as we kept as we kept the conversation going, I asked him. I said, "Do you ever pray?" And he said, "Sometimes." And I said, "Was well, does God ever talk to you?" And he looked real funny and he said, no, God doesn't ever talk to me. I said, well, I mean, does, does he ever, does he ever, do you think he ever guides you? I said, no, I, I don't think he ever guides me. He said, do you, do you think God talks to you? And I said, you know, I really do. I really do think he talks to me. And he said, well, what? What, what would that sound like? I said, do you remember? And it's just like the Holy Spirit brought it to me. I said, do you remember when you were a little boy and those guys in your neighborhood were going to go do something bad and you had something inside that just told you not to go do it? He said, yeah. I said, I think that's what God sounds like. What did that sound like? He said, oh, I don't know. It just was something in me that... I said, well, I think that's what God sounds like. I said, those times that you... Those times that you think to pray. You said you pray sometimes. What causes you to pray? He said, I don't know. It just, it just pops in my head and I, and, and, and I think I should pray. I said, well, I think that's what God sounds like. If, if he weren't the one talking to you about talking to him, how would you know he was there? How would you even know to pray? How would you even know there was a such, such a thing as prayer if he wasn't talking to you? 
And, and, and what happened as we continued the conversation is what was becoming clearer and clearer to Scott is that God was already at work in his life and he didn't know it. But let me tell you another thing. What was becoming clearer and clearer to me is that God was working on Scott long before I sat on the plane beside him. That's a very important point. That's a very important thing to understand. Now, I, I felt led by the Holy Spirit to sow a seed in his life or to water the seed. I, 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 as, as, I pray, as we walked through the conversation, there was a point I sensed the Holy Spirit say, stop right here. He's not ready for more. Stop right here. And so I stopped. Now look, that doesn't feel maybe like the way we've done evangelism. I didn't close the deal. But I didn't sense, I didn't sense my, how is the sower and the reaper ever going to rejoice together if all we do is reap? Let's go back to last week a minute. There has to be that process whereby we listen to the Holy Spirit and hear Him say the things that He wants to say to people at a particular time. I think that we've mashed so much guilt into evangelism that we make it like a sales deal. And because Americans are over-marketed, we come in the same methodology a lot of times that, uh, that American business does. We're coming to close the deal. But God... Is in, is in a process with Scott, and, I, and he happened to bring me along for that moment. I didn't even know it. But as the door opened, I could see what was happening. And what I have to understand then is, Scott's not, Scott doesn't belong to me, he belongs to God. And it's not my mission, it's God's mission. If it were mine, I should have done, I should have done more. But if I trust God and have faith in Him, I can listen to His Spirit tell me what I should do and do that. And believe that he's going to bring somebody behind that to water. I wasn't the first person that told him about God. I'm not going to be the last. God is going to keep working on him because he loves him. And so it's, so it's, an, entire, it's an entire process. The last few weeks, two weeks, we have looked around at the spiritual life of American culture. We've looked around at... In this series, Our Town, at Christianity and, and the future and the present and, the, and what's going on in the country. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to move from looking around to looking up. I want us this morning to look up at God. What, what is it that God has to say? What is it that in this spiritual climate of rapid decline, as we look around, we see things aren't going all that well. But today, I want us to look up and ask the question, what is God saying to us about our town? What is God saying to us about the people that we know? I, I, I don't want to derail too long, but I'm, I have not sensed a greater spiritual battle inside myself since since the since the recovery point after Katrina as I have the last month because and at 11 o'clock last night I, I I was praying and God gave me a moment of clarity where I finally could see the 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 spiritual warfare and and the frustration inside myself that I've been battling through the last month to try to understand what it is that God's saying to us about this. 
And, and I can see exactly what he's doing. The last thing the enemy would ever want to happen is for the deep missionary heart of this church to be turned onto this community. And he, and he will find... What the enemy tries to do is teach us what not to do by inflicting frustration, distraction, harassment, and pain on our life. If we start really going deep into God's way, the enemy will set up every roadblock he can and make it as painful as he can because he knows that pain is a great teacher. And it tells us to go back. But, but in the kingdom, we realize the places we sense the most resistance to the enemy is the place that we're to lean in on the most. Because he doesn't even have an offense. All he has is a defense. It's the church that's on offense. And so we're to lean in. And so this morning, I want to lean in. If you have something to write with, I want to give you three simple things that I felt even, even late in the night that the Lord said to me, this is the deal. As, as I say, Lord, as I look into your face, what is the thing, what is the thing for our town? I want to give you three Really simple things. Here's the first one. God is on a mission. Since the Garden of Eden, God has been on a mission to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Him. The Bible is salvation. Maybe you've heard this. It's salvation history. It's the history of how God saves mankind. It's the history of how God interacts with people. It's, it's, the, it's the history of the salvation of mankind. Let me summarize it for you in about five minutes. Let's summarize the thousands and thousands of years of salvation history in about five minutes. Shortly after Adam and Eve's sin, the Bible revealed that God was already... Now watch this. God was already on a mission reaching out to Abraham. Why is that such a big deal that God would reach out to Abraham? Because Abraham was not an Israelite. He was not one of God's chosen people. From the, from the very dawn of human history, God is already reaching outside His own camp. His own declared chosen people to Abraham, who isn't even one of them, to be the father of many nations. He's already reaching outside. Noah was used to deliver humanity into a new world. Joseph delivered his family line from an impending famine. David is the righteous king that God set up to deliver Israel from its enemies. Hosea is downtown at the auction block trying to buy back his wife from the consequences of her own sin. The Bible says that Esther comes to power at just the right time and delivered God's people. Ruth is redeemed by following her mother-in-law's God. All these servants have one thing in common. They all heard God's voice calling them to the mission that he was already on before they got there. And that was to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Him. These pictures in the Scripture are metaphors of God's unwavering love and His intention to deliver people. Do you know what the defining event of the entire Old Testament is? The most important defining event of the entire Old Testament is, is God's direction through Moses... To lead the people of chil uh, the children of Israel out of bondage 
into freedom. Out, out, of, out of imprisonment into deliverance and into freedom and into the promised land. It's clear from the beginning that God's will was for His people to be free from all forms of bondage, physical and spiritual. God's on a mission. That's the three-minute version of the Old Testament. Now let's do the New Testament. In the New Testament, as as, as the New Testament covenant opens, we see God still on the same mission. The difference is there's a different apex in the New Testament. The defining event of the Old Testament was Moses delivering the children of Israel from bondage to freedom. The defining event of the New Testament is Jesus being sent to to free all people from bondage to freedom. God sent his son that came God came to earth in the form of a human called his son Jesus, who lived, served, and died to restore broken humanity. God revealed his love in the greatest measure that we humans can understand, self-sacrifice. And Luke 19.10 says that Jesus came declaring his own mission. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. God is on a mission, and it's his mission. It's not my mission It's not your mission. It's not Kingwood Church's mission. It's not the Churches of America's mission. It's his mission. And he was on it before we got here, and he'll be on it after we're gone. It's centered in him. It's not centered in in our denomination. It's not centered in our theology. It's centered in the person of God. It stays with him. As long as God's okay, the mission's going to keep going, and God's always going to be okay. So the mission's going to keep going. God's on a mission. Here's the second thing. God asked us to join him on his mission. God asked us to join him on his mission. Early in Jesus' ministry, he began to lay the groundwork for that idea to transfer the mission from himself physically to his church corporately. Because he, w- he was one physical man, he wanted to transfer it to his disciples. And ultimately, as Jesus said it was important that I go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. He ultimately transferred the mission from himself onto the combination of the Holy Spirit and his disciples. It, w- we'll get to that. Matthew 4, 19, early in, early, this is chapter 4. It's early in the conversation. It's early in the process. Jesus is already telling his disciples. Actually, he invited them with this, with this phrase. Come follow me. And, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of people. Apostle Peter's been out on a boat fishing for fish. Jesus says, put your nets down. Come follow me. I've got a bigger mission than the one you're already on. After Jesus leaves the scene, Paul the apostle has now... Drank the Kool-Aid. He has embraced the mission of God deep into his soul, into his bones. And when he's writing the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5.18, he says, God has reconciled himself to us through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
God has joined, invited us. God has asked us. And, and, and you may even say in the language of Matthew 28, God has commanded us into the mission that he's on. He, he's invited us and brought us into it. About, I don't know, maybe 13 years ago, uh, Stacy and I were visiting her dad here. And I don't even remember what state we lived in at the time. But our, our little car was loaded up. I don't, I don't think we had kids yet. Had to be, well, our oldest son is almost 13, maybe f- 15 years ago. And our little car was piled up and we were going back to wherever we came from. And, and we stopped up here on Highway 31 at this little gas station on the left, just before the interstate. And, uh, and I was getting gas, and she said, I, I want to go inside and uh, get a candy bar. All right. So inside, I'm getting gas. She comes out, and we sit in the car, and she said, I'm, I'm supposed to go tell that lady that God loves her. She said, what should I do? I said, well, I think you should. Why do you think that? She said, I just felt this impression that God wanted me to go tell that lady that he loves her. I said, well, I, I, I'll, I'll wait here. I think you should do it. She said, don't leave. I've got to do it. We, can, we can't go. I have to do it. And she walked in there and nobody was in the store. And she said, I, I just, I just, when I was checking out, I just felt like God wanted me to tell you that he loves you. And and was kind of shocked, but shoulders fell. And we never really knew what what came of that. But she got in the car and I said, "What happened?" She said, "Well, I, I told her, and it looked like it looked like it encouraged her, but she didn't she didn't say much." And what I'm saying to you is, those whispers are invitations to join God on the mission that He's already on. That lady's not my wife's mission. That lady's God's mission. He's been loving her before we showed up to get gas. <laughs> He's been loving her since she was born. He knew her before she was born. And her mother's womb, he knew her. But we came along at that moment and, and, and God needed somebody at that moment to do that for some reason. And so, so we go to join him on that mission. You know, next Sunday night we're doing our block parties. And uh, tonight, the, if you missed the training, we did the same training two weeks in a row. If you missed the training last Sunday night, this Sunday night we're doing it again. Uh, 5.30, 2.05, So if, if you're going to do the block party, come tonight and, and do the one hour, maybe less than an hour, really discussion on what's happening. Stacey and I ran into a lady from our church in uh, Publix um, Friday. And she said, I've got to tell you all something. She said, this whole block party thing has opened up some doors for me. She said, nobody in my neighborhood is a Christian but one lady. And she goes to another church. And so she said, so I just went over to her and said, you know what? What if you and I just start praying for our neighbors? Let's just join and start praying for our neighbors. (laughs) Somebody might say, well... Is this, is this something for people in a, another church to do? I don't think Jesus cares. God's been on a mission that was here before our denomination showed up. He doesn't care. And she said, let's pray over our neighbors. 
And she said, so we've made a list of them by name. And we're starting to pray for them together. And she said, we've done it this week. And she said, it's funny, the atmosphere of our neighborhood's starting to change. You think? Because somebody is getting on mission with God. Somebody's hearing his voice to join him in what he's already been trying to do. He just needs a tangible representation to show up and start walking it out. Start establishing it. Start praying it. She said, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do next. I said, I don't either. Isn't this great? It's great. Stick your edge, feet off the edge of the cliff and just, and just breathe the air. I don't know what to do now either. But go. Keep, keep hearing. Keep sensing. Keep walking. Keep moving in the mission that God has given us. God's on a mission. And he's asked us to join him. And here's the last one. God gives us power to do the mission. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. God gives us power to do the mission. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Through verse 8. On one occasion... While he, no, no, you understand, Jesus had already died, rose from the grave. He's in resurrected form. And he's showing up to eat. <laughs> Which encourages me about heaven. <laughs> By the way, on one occasion, or you'll get that later, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, are you about to save America? God, are you about to give us a Christian president that's going to save America? Lord, are you going to kick the Romans out of here? And are you going to let Jerusalem set up again and, and go back to our heyday? That's what they're asking. And he said to them... It's not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What he's saying is, my mission is not about that. My mission was here before America was here and if there are, ever comes a day that America's not here anymore, my mission will stand. It'll still be here because I've been on it since like Eden. And I'm going to be on it until like the end of the world. And I'm going to be with you on this mission. One of the last things that Jesus told the disciples before he died. Now, before he died, in Matthew 28, before he died, he told them, go into all the world and make disciples. A better translation of that would be, as you go, in other words, you don't have to go anywhere new, go where you're already going. Go and make disciples and say, well, I mean, I'm, I have my job here in, you know, Birmingham or Alabaster. I can't go into all the world. You're already in all the world. Go into the world you're already in. As you go, as you go where you're going, make disciples. 
One of the last things Jesus told the disciples after he died, that's the last thing he told them before he died. One of the last things he told them after he died and resurrected from the dead was, the Holy Spirit will give you power to be my witnesses. You might want to write this down. As you go, make disciples, but before you go, receive power. As you go, make disciples, but before you go... Now think about it for a minute. Jesus said an imperative to his followers. Do not go into all the world until you stop by the upper room and receive power that my Holy Spirit will give you to be witnesses and make disciples. So this disciple-making process, this sowing and reaping, has to be infused with the Spirit's right Now, you, now look... You can do whatever you want with that theologically. Jesus is the one that said it. Didn't come out of a doctrine book somewhere or headquarters. Jesus said it. He said, before you go, go into all the world. But before you go, wait. If the experience wasn't necessary, why did Jesus tell his disciples not to leave until they had had it? Now think about it with me. Power to be my witnesses. I have heard that phrase since I was 15 years old. <laughs> I'm not sure that, that... I'm not sure until last night at about 11 o'clock that I had ever really thought through the implications of power to be witness. I've heard the, it's the word martyr and I've heard all that. I got all that. What does it mean? Just think about it with me for a second. We have defined these things in such a church context that I don't know that we've thought, I don't know that we've heard them the way Jesus would have said them. What would it, what would it mean that God, that His Spirit would give you power to be a witness? Take me to the scene of you discussing God with one of your co-workers or neighbors or family members at, at the, at the, on the job or, or, or at Thanksgiving in the living room or at the coffee house. Tell me, tell me what it would look like for, for you to have power to witness in that situation. Does that power mean you'd sound smarter? Does it mean that you talk louder? Does it mean that you would speak in tongues to them? Think about it. Talk to me. What does it mean? Power to be witnesses. Translate that somehow into a real life experience. How does his power make you a witness? Does it make you less afraid? Does it does it take away apprehensions? I'm, I'm curious this morning. How many of you in this room would say that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? You've you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and and you you have some evidence of that through speaking in tongues. How many of you would say that? Just, I have. Lift your hand. Okay. Now, don't lift your hand again. (laughs) But, But answer this question. Has that power made you a better witness? Well, that's what he said it was for. Now, now th- I'm just, I just want you to think with me. Maybe it's because we don't understand how it's supposed to. We associate power with quick and spontaneous and sensational. 
What if power can also mean patient and sustaining and committed? What if it could mean what if it could mean the sustaining power to keep sowing? I, look, I think I'm just going to throw some stuff out there that hit me at 11 o'clock. I think enablement for witnessing has to do with the gifts of the Spirit. What else could it be? Think about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. Do I need discernment to witness? Oh, yeah. Have you witnessed lately? You're walking into a firestorm. Do I need the gift of knowledge to witness? I'm sitting on an airplane beside Scott. Do I need to hear the Holy Spirit tell me what to do? Yeah. Nothing at Southeastern got me ready for this. Nobody there knows Scott. The Holy Spirit knows him. And he's known him his whole life. And I need to hear him tell me what to do. I need, to, I need him to guide me. Do I need faith to witness? Think about the gifts. Do I need, do I need wisdom to witness? What if, what if the baptism of the Holy Spirit caused you to hear God's voice clearer? What if it somehow, what if it somehow caused you in a way to have a closer following to Him? Galatians 5 says, keep in step with the Spirit. I'll throw another one at you. I think it's also greater fruit of the Spirit. What if spirit baptism, I don't know, let me just pull something out of the hat, made you more loving? I know some mean Pentecostal people. Now, I'm not sure they're, I'm not sure they got it. They got something, I don't know what it is. Think for a second, we, we disconnect these things theologically and randomly and compartmentalize them, but what if they're actually all connected? What if, what, if the, what if spirit baptism made you more patient? What if it meant that you were empowered to walk in a relationship with someone and wait for the right moment to share with them? What if that's what it did? What if, what if it backed us out of our ADD American culture and allowed us to patiently and lovingly walk with someone long enough until they saw a revelation that God unconditionally loved them? What if it gave us the power to do that? Why, look, I think it's all connected. Why would the Spirit's power not be connected to the Spirit's gifts and connected to the Spirit's fruit? I, I'm telling you, it's the same Spirit. So if it's the same Spirit, why isn't the fruit and the gifts and the power, all, it's not separate for Him? So what if Spirit baptism was an enabling power, an enablement to live those things through in greater ways. What if it was like that? Now, I could, I could imagine a lot of conversations where that was in the middle of it working. Couldn't you? It's different then. What if the Holy Spirit was able to string a group of people together who, who He empowered to interject into the life of a non-Christian the right things at the right time until that person came to a breaking point and received Jesus in their life? 
I, I, the problem is we focus so much on tongues that we've not focused on our ears. What do we hear? Let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the church. And I think because we've over-focused on tongues so much, we've lost the purpose of it. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of tongues? Let me tell you what the purpose of tongues is. It is to renew the life of God in you to make you effective on the mission. It is the time that I retreat from the mission and, and my, my prayer and worship and my prayer language that God has given me renews my soul. It connects me to God in a deep way that renews my soul, that pushes me back out and makes me effective on the mission. But if all I do is retreat and never get out on the mission, I shallow out. Tongues and, and Pentecostalism will not keep you deep if it is not spent on the mission. It, it, will, it will start to engorge and it'll start, it'll start to sour. Because it never was meant to be held. It was meant to be released. And as it's released, it lives. Let me tell you what our town needs. Our town. Our town needs the enabling of the Holy Spirit that lives outside the sanctuary. That's what our town needs. Pastor Mike, if you'd come.